a multimedia sensation that's sweeping the nation. It's Better Buddies. Cause we're living, living in the moment, the moment. So don't look back, it's a long, long road ahead. A long, long road ahead. Hello and welcome back to Better Buddies Podcast. I'm your host, as always, RJ, or most of the time, RJ. Sometimes I'll be other people. Uh, with me tonight, we have Calvin. Hola. And Eli. Hello. Of the Super Bracket Bros podcast. We forgot to plug that last time you were on, so I'm going to be nice and plug it now. Oh, plug it again later. And for our Better Buddies icebreaker this evening, before we insist that we're not a movie podcast, uh, what is the last book you read? And uh, what did you enjoy about it? Uh, fully read, like finished, or preferably. But if you had most of the way through, and that's what you have, what if you're in the middle of reading a book? Sure, why not? All right. Well, I'm reading a book called uh, Ikigai, which is like a Japanese philosophy book. Nice, it's interesting. It's not actually written by people or like by a Japanese person. It's so gotta take that with a grain of salt. But mm. it's written by people that like live in Japan, and they're like they write about other philosophy stuff. So. It's like a Western take on this Japanese philosophy. Hmm. How do you spell that? Ikigai. I-K-I-G-A-I. It's basically um, the idea of living your life with a purpose. Um, And it talks about why Japanese are some of the longest living people on the planet. And they have like so many centurions. So they talk, um, it's really just talking about finding that purpose in your life. And just because you get old, and you like can retire doesn't mean you should like stop working and just stop whatever your purpose is. Hmm. I like that. And it's kind of, yeah, it all makes sense. And they talk about how like, that's kind of the key to like living longer and how a lot of these centurions, they talk about having close uh, family and community ties. They also talk about how a lot of the uh, Centurion, the places with the highest number of centurions in the world, uh, drink a moderate amount of alcohol. So, and there's apparently studies that show people that drink alcohol in moderation live longer than those that don't drink alcohol at all. Hmm. Wow. So, uh, have a drink when you uh, think maybe you shouldn't. But two glasses of wine a day. Do it responsibly. <laughs> Eli, do you have one that you've been reading? I literally just finished this book two days ago, and Calvin uh, is uh, related to this. It was uh, the Wise Man's Fear. The second, nice. book, the second book of the King Killer Chronicle. That took me a while, but I finally finished yep. it. <laughs> yeah, that whole middle section where uh, he just basically spends a year having sex in the woods. Okay, I'm like, I was. Hang on. What? I, okay, okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> for anyone that's gonna listen, probable spoilers for King Killer Chronicles. Yeah, it's a. Uh, Yes, I don't know if there's a timestamp or something, but just be forewarned. I'll be as vague as possible. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to be. But essentially, um, the main character, the it's the second book in a planned trilogy, and so the first book takes place largely at this university, and the second book, which I've just finished, is basically the first third is in the university, and then the main character basically goes on a sabbatical, um, kind of a world. Uh, traveling thing and at one point he meets a magical creature and they just bang in the woods <laughs> wow yeah that, that was that was where i stymied so hard 
so long to get the motivation yeah. to read through that because it came out of nowhere. But <laughs> what that you mean that wasn't the most entertaining part for you? It was the actually the least opposite. Uh, the opposite. <laughs> that actually relates back to one of the books I read in college. This isn't the book I'm choosing, but there was a book I had to read for a class that I actually wound up buying a used copy of that basically broke down all of the tropes of writing and particularly like reading texts as like someone who's analyzing them. And there were two chapters. The first one said, it's always about sex. The following chapter was, unless it's sex. <laughs> but, well, it's so, fu- it's so funny because the point is made in the first book and this book that the main character is, he has no experience with women. That's his one like, yeah. Side. And then he meets this magical a fake creature that's all about sex and he just just kills it <laughs> like yeah. she's like he, you're amazing <laughs> well he goes into this world or because it's like in, he goes into the fey realm with her and spends like seemingly like a year there but it's like two days in our realm so he spends all that time there he goes in this guy who is like never had sex before total noob with women comes out and he just has it's just like every other girl he meets he just basically is like yeah and he's like the smoothest guy ever apparently i would attribute that that to being a year long of lessons not the he's just instantly good at it it's pretty instant in yeah it's pretty (laughs) he does granted he does spend a year but it's still pretty instant point of view is it from the guy he's telling the story oh so he's definitely hyping it up He's an unreliable narrator. They, oh, they kind of they kind of say it, but there's a lot of people that actually are like, is he really though unreliable? It, there's a lot of speculation oh, on how oh, I, unreliable he actually is. I'm fully on board. I think he's not telling the whole truth at all. I yeah. think there's a lot he's hiding. That's just my interpretation though. I I do think he's hiding a lot, and I definitely, as he said, he he's going he to play up some stuff because he's a performer. But I think he's not necessarily lying as much as they kind as you're kind of led to believe. Oh yeah, because he tells some things that are so freaking embarrassing that like it would make no sense for him to tell. But there's other shit that's like I yeah. don't know the way he's wording things makes it kind of sketchy. But no, if you have the chance, I recommend it. They're both hefty books. Um, what but books are these again? King Killer Chronicles. Yes. Yep. Uh, written by Patrick Rothfuss, who is from Wisconsin, so he is. Yeah, I'm, I know Calvin. You've told me about that before. Yeah, I think I have. No, if you're at all interested in fantasy, I check it out. Uh, now that I've finished with that, I picked up uh, an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green uh, mm. from the Blog Brothers. From the um, of of John and Hank Green. Yes, uh, John is the novelist, and this is Hank's first novel. So. Ah, um, so hopefully I, it, doesn't fall into the same trap of his brother as okay, basic plot structure, plug and play with the words or the names. I mean, uh, it's it's interesting. I definitely recommend it. It's a YA science fiction novel that deals with like social media. It's very odd and quirky, but I'm enjoying it. So okay, the last book I read is oh, it's just it might be one of the best books to exist, just in terms of this is something that has to exist, not that it's good. It is titled Dr. Dimension Masters of Space-Time. The cover is a Einstein-esque professor with his hair all wigged out above the title with his arms outstretched. And it's just the most, like, 90s sci-fi doorstopper novel you could possibly imagine. (laughs) What is it called? Dr. Dimension Masters of Space-Time. That's book two. This is book two in the Dr. Dimension series. 
but it's one of those series where it just it starts off and knows, okay, you didn't pick up book one, so let's lay down everything for you right at the beginning. <laughs> and in the first like chapter when they crash land, it's Doctor Dimension, Doctor Demopoulos or something. He's ger- he's Greek, but he likes the name Doctor Dimension. He's got a football jock who was his lab assistant, football jock's girlfriend who was also a lab assistant, and then two other scientists from the university who stowed away on the ship and. Within the first 20 pages, Dr. Dimension makes degrading comments about the women and is immediately followed up by the authors putting in parentheses, hey, yo, look, listen, this is set in like the 40s and this is just how they treated people back then. It's not cool. We don't endorse it. It's shitty behavior, but it's authentic. And it goes from there with just the most pulp sci-fi-esque things. The villain of the novel is an evil empress named Estrogena. Oh my god. Yeah. That is awful. (laughs) It's the most bonkers book ever, but it was just such a fun read. What inspired you to read that? (laughs) I got it for my birthday. It was a birthday gift. Hmm. So, we're not a movie podcast. However... I'm However, <laughs> Calvin, you were very eager to talk about 1917. Yes, I just went and saw it tonight because I was looking at the um, showtimes for it, and it finally was at the theater here in town, and um, it leaves tomorrow. So Ooh. I was like, well, I got, I really want to go see it in theaters. So I went tonight by myself. There was no one else in the theater. It was great. Um, so I basically got a private showing. Nice. And... Oh my god, that movie was fantastic. Uh, RJ, you haven't seen it yet, correct? No, but I don't care about spoilers. So from this point forward, if you care about spoilers for the movie 1917, potential Oscar winner, definite Oscar nominee, correct? Yeah. Yep. If you care about spoilers for this movie, skip ahead by two minutes, realize that you haven't skipped far enough ahead, and continue to skip until you find a place that isn't talking about 1917, realize you've gone too far, and skip back until you find the right spot. <laughs> I I'll I'll try and keep it vague for the most part. To be honest, there's not a ton you can spoil. It is historical it. events. Um, is it based on a real event? Does anyone know? It I mean, 1917 based. is a year that happened, and I'm assuming it's about okay. RJ. Um, so Sam Mendes, who directed the movie, based it all on the experiences of his grandfather. Okay, so, yeah, they had that thank you at the end, and I did catch that it was the same last name. Yeah, I so don't... it it's like loosely based off of like things that he said. But yeah, the whole event is fictional? Yeah, I don't think it's a okay. one-to-one, but he's basically taking stories his grandfather would tell and splicing them into this uh, story of heroism. And, like, it's the simplest plot of any movie you could ever have. Hmm. Like, <laughs> two guys are told to go deliver this message or, like, 1,500 people are going to die. And the movie is just them going in delivering the message. Yep. So it's a mailman movie. The most intense mailman movie ever. So, so not, you mentioned it's a Best Picture uh, nominee um, at the Oscars this year, and not only is it a nominee, if you're if you're in the know on film Twitter, uh, a lot of people say it's the front runner for winning the Best Picture nominee because it's really been, it's been raking in awards left and right. I'm okay with that because that's like the only one from. Oh, I've I've only seen 1917 and The Irishman, and between the two, definitely I would prefer 1917. Is there any but concern? I, uh, just speaking about the sorry, Calvin, um, about the awards that because it's been raking in everywhere else, they're not going to give it to it. Uh, usually, um, because Oscar voting just ended, I think two days ago, and so 
usually what happens in when um if a movie gets a lot of awards from these minor circuits and mid-major ones then it's likely to get the big ones if that makes sense okay so like the british academy awards just happened and uh, 1917 raked in a lot for that and so people are like well that's gonna bode really well for this year's oscar it's almost like the nfl draft season or like it's basically uh, sports. <laughs> that is a reference I don't understand, but can kind of comprehend. But it's basically people have like cork boards with pictures lined up with string of just like, well, last time an actor in this movie got these awards, it won Best Picture, and the same actors in this movie and it got these awards, so it might win. You know, people like are just Charlie Day in the one meme image where he's it's him with all the boards, and he's got yeah. his hand out. Yeah, people people pull out the shit like that, and it's so fun. But um, no, to your point, um, no, things are looking really good for 1917. Currently, the front runners are Parasite, 1917, um, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So yeah, I've, like I said, I've only seen Irishman in 1917, and 1917 blows away Irishman. So I think of the ones I've seen, it should win Best Picture. But I definitely think it should win like. Best cinematography and best VFX. Oh, because yeah. you don't notice the VFX. They're so freaking awesome. Hmm. Okay, so uh, RJ and by extension the audience, 1917 is shot to look like it's one take. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Yes. So it's the movie starts and it's like um the they're like laying under a tree. Their um lieutenant the two, comes. The, yeah, the two protagonists. Yeah, the two protagonists are laying under a tree in a field. The lieutenant comes and gets them. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. They're doing, like, a really long establishing establishing shot. It's, like, one cut. Um, I didn't know it was all supposed to look like one cut going in. So I'm watching this, and it's like, oh, that's really cool. That's a really cool, like, long shot. And I'm, like, watching it. I'm like, oh, it's been, like, five minutes. They're still going. And then they start walking through the trenches to get to the front line. I'm like, they're still going. And then it's like 30 minutes in and I'm like, dear God, like if you know even a little bit about cinematography, you can spot the like hitting cuts, yeah. but they're so well done that you kind of have to be looking for them. There's some obvious ones, um, but it's just so well done. Well, that's why I wanted to watch the movie. The movie Birdman has been on my list with uh, Michael Keaton yep, because it's fact. done in the same way where they'll have, uh, I know there's one scene where like he's staggering down an alley and it like, pans downward into a puddle and then back up so that they can make that the cut. Mm-hmm. So like little tricks like that are amazing to be fooled by. Like it's, it's so cool to not realize they're doing it until it's and, too late. And like the thing with 1917, it's not just a gimmick. It helps with the whole thematic structure of the story and that it, you're in the trenches with them. You're following them step by step on this mission. So you're in a sense, unwitting much as they are unwilling participants in this mission that's been you know thrusted onto them you as the audience is an unwitting like third participant and it's really effective it adds so much tension to the film oh my like, god just the that and the score the score was great as well oh it was so good uh, i also want to throw it out i don't know if you guys know uh roger deakins they kind of recognize the name. the name. He is the cinematographer for this movie. He did the cinematography for Blade Runner 2014. Oh, that's where I know God, the name that's, from. Because yeah, I know so that's why. Uh, so talking about him before, and he's the guy that I'm really bummed isn't doing. He didn't do Dune. Right. <laughs> he was attached because we talked about that in like episode three of the podcast. Yeah, we did. He uh, he was attached to Dune, and now he's not. And that. Uh, the guy they've got now is, is one of those catch twenty two things of it's not the guy we wanted. 
Well, he's, he's also only known for young. he's only done the only thing he's really known for is Rogue One. Yeah, so it's that Catch Twenty Two issue of you haven't done much, but we want somebody we trust on this, even though we don't have like the choice in it. I mean, it's Denny Villeneuve directing, so I yeah. can't yeah. imagine it won't be a stellar. But I'm just want I like you said, Calvin. This this really should win cinematography, not only because it's amazing, but because it's freaking Roger Deakins, and he just got his first Oscar win, and he needs more. <laughs> what did he What did he win for? Was it twenty four nine? No, it was for. Um, he whoa, he's got a lot of other awards. Not oh. Academy Awards. He won for, yeah, 2049. Okay, that was it. Yay, 2049. Yeah, and so I definitely want him to win. I Okay, like, I want him to win, but I am, like, pure blood Little Women stan. So York, <laughs> York LaSalle, the cinematographer for Little Women, should win because I'm super biased, but I want Roger Deakins to win also. <laughs> uh, they're, they're not nominated for Best Cinematographer. York LaSalle is. I'm looking at, uh, yeah, I'm looking at nominations nominations didn't don't they trim them down just before the ceremony i mean if they're nominated they're nominated uh let me double check but okay oscars.org this will be the best place to go cinematography uh nominees irishman joker lighthouse 1917 once upon a time that's it oh i'm pissed now oh i am so annoyed i thought that was a (laughs) shoo-in oh i'm gonna send some angry letters (laughs) Since I sent out some angry tweets into the void. Oh, shit. No, I wasn't thinking. Oh, I was thinking of the lighthouse. That's what I meant. Oh. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're okay, then. Never mind. Call off the dogs. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm still... Put down the pitchforks. I'm still... Well, I'm still raising the pitchforks for Greta Gerwig not getting a nom for Best Director, so I'll raise another one for LaSalle. <laughs> That's fair. How many um, pitchforks are you holding right now? Uh, I have, like, four at the ready and, like, five more if things don't go my way. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to suffer from OD. (laughs) I mean, it's like the Oscars are such a, you know, they largely don't mean much, but it's always a fun, like, rooting for your your team, essentially. I really hope you don't suffer uh, traumatic levels of Oscar disappointment. I'm used to it. What about a Joker? Not a fan. Yeah. Calvin, did you actually (laughs) see that one? Uh, No, um, but I've seen, like, I've read the plot and I've seen a lot of clips. And from what I've seen, it it didn't interest me before, and now it really doesn't. Yeah, it, it's well, I have to give it credit because it's very well done. The people making it knew what they were doing, but I didn't walk away feeling good about it, which I don't know if that's the intent. That's what I'm wondering, too, is that I really love... Um, because it is an exaggerated, um, depiction of like, you know, uh, oppression and, um, what's the word? Not oppression. Um, the treatment of the mentally ill, essentially. Subjugation. Yes. Uh, basically showing how cold and callous people are to the mentally ill. And it shows it in a very stark and, you know, daring manner, but it doesn't show any like solution or resolution towards it. You just see a mentally ill guy getting the shit kicked out of him Mm -hmm. and, in the end, he just goes crazy and starts killing people. And it's kind of like, what I don't know what you're trying to say about that theme specifically. There's so many themes in Joker that are touched upon in this hyper-stylized manner, but this there's not much depth to it. Uh, not much is explored. They opened up the scope to look at everything and didn't do anything in particular. Right, yeah. It shows like, oh, this is what happens when you push the mentally ill too far. Okay, you showed that, but what does that mean? Like, here's what happens when class warfare comes to a head. Okay, what, like, you're just showing a bunch of... 
yeah, he was just showing a bunch of people, you know, doing, you know, rioting and shit. And it's showing the Joker as sort of this Christ figure. So it's like, Todd Phillips, are you endorsing, you know, class warfare? <laughs> yeah. And I think the other, one of the things that definitely stood out for me was a lot of people with the, uh, the, the way Thomas Wayne was presented in the film. A lot of, or at least what it seemed like I was hearing was a lot of people saying like, oh yeah, Thomas Wayne's an asshole. And that's more accurate to how he really would have been as a real person, except like that was the whole point of Thomas and Martha Wayne where they were the good people that Bruce is trying to live up to and that they were the ones who were trying to actually do good things. And even in the movie, Thomas Wayne's mean, but he's also being mean to, at first off in person, a man who has approached his family twice now and basically threatened them. Like, dude was getting physical with his kid, not cool. And then on television, it's all like, oh, these clowns, to be, let's be frank, he was running for mayor. Like, and the clown was the one who shot, as far as he knew, three innocent people and walked away. Right. Like, yeah, we get it from Joker's perspective, where, like, these three dudes were clearly assholes and being rude. But Thomas Wayne knew nothing of that. Why wouldn't he say, like, oh, what the hell, man? Well, you also can't take anything that you see from the Joker's perspective as real, right? Because don't later on the show, he's been just like imagining things. It's it's and that's another one of those things they don't go all the way on because there's a girl, there's a woman who lives down the hall from him. He yeah. has this chance meeting in the elevator that goes positive that we, as far as we assume, goes positively. But then later he hallucinates all these other hangout times. Problem is we don't know what where the hallucinations technically stop because they show us, oh, the quote-unquote girlfriend was a hallucination. But I think somebody went back and looked at the clocks and the clock in the hospital room is the same as the clock in the psychiatrist the, office that he goes to at the beginning. The clocks in the entire movie are set to 11-11 because it's supposed to be, or like a very specific time because it's supposed to, um, it's symbol the number symbolizes anxiety or fear or something like that. I don't remember what ex exact time it is, but every clock in every single scene of the film is set to the same time. Which, okay, so the then we have to ask, is the entire movie a hallucination, which means nothing happened, and Thomas and Martha Wayne didn't get shot. But why would they show, this, show them getting shot if Joker wasn't there for that, which means that that scene has to be real? Well, this is the main, like, crux of my criticism of Joker. It's like, yeah, all these possibilities exist, you know, imaginations and whatnot. And even in all these, like, end results of all these hypotheses, you're just like, well, what was the point then? In any of these scenarios, what was Todd Phillips trying to say? <laughs> it's like uh, this magic trick with, you know, no depth to it. That's a good way of putting it, magic, a magic trick. Yeah, because... it's just like, because it's a very emotionally affecting film. Like, you feel for the main character, and you're just like, oh, this world's so nasty and brooding. And you do feel it in your soul, like, oh, God, this is so dirty and angry. And I feel dirty and angry watching it. But afterwards, you're just like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do with all this? <laughs> well, I think it's an, it's an appropriate metaphor, because particularly with, say, like, card tricks, very frequently, the big part of the card trick is all of the emotional heart-tugging that distracts you from the fact that the magician didn't do very much. All you have to do is flip one card when they're not looking the right way, and you've got a card trick. Yeah. So that we're going to distract you with spectacle and emotion, and then the one card we flip is the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne. That was one thing that did bug me, though, was 
you know, including that Batman origin scene was just like, I don't know. It just feels like it's a movie about the Joker. I don't, I don't need to see the. Yeah. Didn't the, need to see it. <laughs> and like, like a, really. All the best. Oh, oh sorry. I was just gonna say that like, really that night, that night show got started way earlier. Like there's definitely plausibility that Thomas and Martha would have seen that happen before they went to the theater. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just didn't like the movie. <laughs> It was one of those things of like, oh, I know what it's trying to do and I appreciate it. But the more I think about it, the more it's just like, no, it didn't, it didn't do the thing it wanted to do. Well, and I, I think James and I talked about this a little bit before in the same episode three, but that this would be such an interesting launching point for a wider array of villain movies for DC, particularly Batman villains, because he's got so many good ones. Like, if you look at the Gotham TV show, they managed to do these realistic, super interesting origin stories for all of these different villains while keeping them grounded in a very real world, but still being the villain, like uh, the Riddler. The Riddler in the Gotham TV show is a... A forensic analyst for the Gotham Police Department who goes nuts with schizophrenia because he's dri- he's driven by that need to be the smartest person in the room and the desire to show that he's the smartest and prove it. Well, that would almost be an interesting model for DC to continue because they tried and kind of failed with the whole shared universe thing. If they just told isolated, you know, origin stories, standalone movies with no chance of having sequels, I don't know. That might be something that would uh, benefit their cinematic cinematic uh standing it'd be a more accurate reflection of the comics considering they're rebooting again in the com- in the dc continuity for the like third time in 20 years <laughs> as, as long as i've been alive we had a uh, dc rebirth no no so sorry we there because there was originally in the comics they had pre-flashpoint and post-flashpoint where flashpoint was if you don't know the story the flash ran back in time and time-traveled to save his mother, but in doing so created a world where Aquaman and Wonder Woman were at war with each other, and that Thomas Wayne and Martha Wayne had lived that night instead of Bruce. So the Batman of that world was Thomas Wayne. Flash winds up going back and allowing his mother to die so that their universe quote-unquote got fixed, but it reset the continuity for the DC universe and changed a lot of stuff, which was the quote-unquote New 52 there were 52 universes with very specific heroes on each universe, no more, no less, until it got inconvenient for them and they said, well, maybe, maybe there's a little bit more than 52? <laughs> Just a little bit more? Okay, a lot more. There's a lot more than 52. I was going to say this now, God bless comic book fans. You guys have a lot of shit to, like, organize. <laughs> well, and that's the thing that, like, DC's best stories happen in isolation when they're just character drip character focuses because like right now there was a run that just happened of a post-apocalyptic batman called i think it was batman last night on earth where it was this future where every a ton of shit went wrong superman and lex luther had gone up against each other basically in a contest of ideals where the loser would automatically be killed by the machine but superman voluntarily lost to save lex luther's life which then caused lex luther to realize oh my god what have i done Leading up to that, though, he had just stirred up all this anti-powered sentiment. So any super-powered individual was basically attacked by the human population and put down. Uh, the Green Lantern Corps was decimated. Wonder Woman was leading, like, the last group of, like, super-powered heroines. And Batman had died years earlier. 
So it was this story of this, but before he died, he set up this clone system where a clone at about, I want to say the age of 25 would be made in the case of Batman's death and would be pre-programmed with Batman's brain so that he could always keep fighting the good fight. Unfortunately, like these numerous Batman clones were created, never succeeded. The story we're following is this of a Batman clone who, instead of the brain of Batman, was given the brain and personality of Bruce Wayne by Alfred. And he finds Joker's decapitated head in a cage and is carrying it around with him, trying to figure out what happened, what broke the world, and how do I fix it? And it was just this great story of, and spoiler alert, the final villain is Batman. The There's this like threat of the anti-life equation that's about to be used to control the entire population. And when Batman finally confronts the dude who's got it, it's him who decided the only way to keep everyone safe is to control them. And so, like, stories like that work really well in isolation, but their overall continuity has always been hectic and shifty, and they'll do these huge events, as comic books do, but they're always... It always feels like they're hitting the reset button. That they're not just accepting, okay, we have this diversity of stories, just let them happen. We Instead, they're trying to say, like, no, we have to make them all fit into one thing, which you don't. Just don't. On the contra- uh, To contrast that, Marvel has had one universal reboot. It happened in the last few years. It was called the Secret Wars event. Univer- realities were literally colliding into each other and destroying each other. The last two realities were the main one and the Ultimates one, which were the two most popular. Uh, through, after a bunch of shenanigans, there was only the one universe left, the original main one, but the Fantastic Four and Reed Richards who had... Between, like, the Fantastic Four and Reed Richards said, hey, this is great and all, but... Really, we need to, like, repopulate the multiverse, because it wasn't very cool that we let all these other universes die, so we're going to go do that by have fun. So Marvel technically reset their continuity, but they really didn't. They just kind of cleaned house. Like I said, God bless comic book fans. (laughs) Look, it all makes sense if you break it down. If you say so. I I just did break it down. It's It's the difference between trying to make puzzle pieces fit from two different puzzles and saying, okay, I'm done with this puzzle, I'm going to start a new puzzle. I just, I like, every, RJ, you've told me all these different comic storylines, and every single time you talk, I just imagine, like, comic book writers are just kids in a toy box, and they're just like, well, this time I'm going to take Joker's decapitated head, and this time we're going to have Batman be the villain. And I mean, it just, really like, is. It's, it's a story kids, toy box. It's just kids fucking around. <laughs> it's the greatest thing, though, because, like, that's why, that's why the Marvel method, I think, works better, because they haven't done those reboots, where they can just say... Oh, you want to go do a story where uh, Spider-Man's aunt and uncle got shot in the park instead of the Punisher's family, and now Spider-Man is the Punisher? Okay, go do that. Have fun. Bye. Write whatever you want. Whereas, like, DC was so concerned with, we have to make it all fit continuity-wise, despite having been around since Action Comics number one with Superman being only able to jump buildings and catch cars, that... The huge time span they've been working across just does not work the way they want it to. So I'm curious, RJ, how do you think the Marvel model is going to go with Disney Plus? Are we going to see more movies or more of these mini series on the streaming service? Uh, the what I think is going to happen is they're going to do more mini series on the streaming service and more individual series on the streaming service, such as Moon Knight and She-Hulk. Moon Knight and She-Hulk are great characters, super interesting, but generally haven't had enough of their own solo stories the way, like, the Guardians of the Galaxy or Spider-Man have to support 
movies or like really work well as movies, if you get what I mean. Like they just work better as a continual series where we can tell a bit of a longer story with them. Meanwhile, movies moving forward, I think, are going to focus more on those niche characters that are a little bit more interesting and people don't know as well so that you can play with them more, such as Shang-Chi and the Eternals, as well as looking into new directions to take the existing characters. We've got Spider-Man. He's going to be going for a while. That's great. But with um, Doctor Strange, we're going to take... Where can we take him? Because you could theoretically do Doctor Strange joins the Guardians of the Galaxy for a movie. It's got backing in the comic books to support that idea. It could happen. Um, And I know... I've heard rumor that there's plans. They're going to do Avengers 5 which will be, like, Black Panther leading a team for whatever reason. Some people theorizing maybe it's the secret invasion. Um, Personally, my hope is that they bring Kang the Conqueror or Doctor Doom in as the villain. And then there's also rumors that there's going to be a new Avengers movie, which the original new Avengers included heroes like Luke Cage on the team, which he was on uh, Netflix. There's been very, very, very light, untrustworthy rumor that once... Disney can snap them up. They're going to take the Netflix characters with the same actors and continue to reuse them. I'm not inclined to believe it, despite how much I want to, but there's just so many corners they still have to explore yet. Interesting. Are you going to fork over that uh, Disney Plus uh, free membership? (laughs) I mean, I'll get around to it eventually. It's (laughs) Once they have the shows, then I'll watch them, you know? Like, yeah... I want to see WandaVision. I want to see the Loki show. I want to see the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I want to see What If. But why start now when I have to wait, when I could just wait and watch them all together? Makes sense. There's one rumor. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just like, Calvin, I'm still waiting for the King Keller Chronicle adaptation. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's like a thing. Yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda's at the head of that, I think. Oh, really? What? <laughs> yeah, he was in talks about it. I don't know what the progress is, but... um, Wow, that would be... Uh, this, is, this thing is titled Not Moving Forward, being stopped by Lionsgate, so... Uh, I, I don't know. People are all trying to jump on... Um, this looks like it's supposed to be a TV show. Yeah. Uh, people are all trying to hop on all this stuff, all the, like post game of thrones hype because they're like oh fantasy series can do amazing and it's like yeah they can if they're done well and i think people are rushing through to find this next great series without giving them a lot of thought and they're just gonna butcher these great potential like these stories have some pretty good potential for some fun tv and then we're, we'll just never get to see anything of it that's what i'm worried about right now with the wheel of time yeah. Uh, everything I've seen so far has me cautiously optimistic, very cautiously optimistic, but I, I don't know. I'm really scared Amazon is going to screw it up and I'll never get to see a good Wheel of Time TV show. I think part of the problem right now is we're stepping off of, we've already stepped off of Game of Thrones, but there was no new step for people to step onto because like before Game of Thrones, as at least as far as I could tell, the big thing was Walking Dead. The Walking Dead was uh, huge. And yeah, then, Walking Dead and Breaking Bad. Like Breaking Bad, Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, but Breaking Bad ended, and they tried to do Better Call Saul, but it's Netflix exclusive. Not and, Better Call Saul. Or, isn't it? No. I, I thought it was. Camino. Yeah, El Camino was the movie that just released. Better well, Call Saul was that. an actual TV show that was... It's probably on Netflix, 
But no, it aired on AMC. Oh, huh. For whatever reason, I thought it was Netflix exclusive. So they had Better Call Saul, but it didn't. It wasn't really the same. And people stepped from there to Walking Dead and Game of Thrones. But Walking Dead went downhill after Negan, and they're trying to milk it for everything it's worth. So they're like, oh, we're going to have three movies with Rick as the main character, even though we wrote him out of the main show. And we've got Fear of the Walking Dead as a TV series set before the zombie outbreak and into the zombie outbreak. But it doesn't have any characters you guys know already, so you don't have any pre-existing reason to watch it. So, and that kind of, that's kind of faded in popularity. Game of Thrones was big, and there's plans to do, like, the prequel series, but it's probably going to suffer the same fate of viewership die-off, but there hasn't been anything for people to step to from there. I guess yeah, Witcher. Netflix tried their hand with The Witcher. I watched the first episode, it was pretty good. Um, I really enjoyed The Witcher. I'm five episodes in, it's so good. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the, the big the big horse we're not talking about is the uh, Amazon blowing their load on <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Oh God! Yes. Oh my God! That's going to be something as well. Depending the, pay, the, pay, the, G, the GDP of <laughs> small world countries to pay that show. <laughs> yeah, how they can afford it. Like that was one of the things I was reading. Uh, I think I was ta- I talked about it a little bit a couple weeks ago that with the streaming services, Amazon can afford to just wait. They've got the money. They're not making, they don't have to make profit off of their TV content because all their money's coming through the selling stuff. Uh, AWS is where they're making money. Oh, yeah. Money. Yeah. Because you corrected me on that internet, last time, too. The internet is run by Amazon servers. I just, I need to tell you guys a fun fact, right? I heard about mm. because James Cameron is filming like 12 Avatar movies in New Zealand. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Every, every single, like, great uh, film crew in New Zealand is working on that project, so filmmakers are really annoyed. <laughs> They're like, we want to film in New Zealand, but James Cameron has stolen everybody. Monopolized everything. <laughs> oh my god. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Monopolizing the film industry of a country is the most James Cameron shit I've ever heard. <laughs> Fun fact, every movie he's directed at some point I think after Titanic was the highest grossing movie of all time. Well, it wasn't after Titanic. What else did he do besides Avatar? Avatar. He did a. It might have been. Wait. <laughs> oh, yeah. It might have just blown smoke out of my ass. I mean, I'm it, sure it's still certain... impressive to have back to back top grossing films of all time. Yeah. I just think it's kind of funny that he's like, oh, I'm going to beat that out. Of, I'm going to beat Avengers out of the water with the next no. Avatar movie. No, you're no, not. No, it was since uh, 1989, The Abyss. Terminator 2, Judgment Day, True Lies, Titanic, and Avatar. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, they were all, at one point, the highest grossing movies of all time. I I don't know how he does it, but he does. I'm just amazed that Avatar was so high grossing. I still don't get it. What? Because it was, it was such a visual movie? spectacle for the time. At that time, the effects were insane. Yeah, but like, okay, I guess... I mean, I fell asleep while watching it, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I, I didn't watch it until I was at a sleepover somewhere in middle school. And I remember watching it and going, okay, the humans have some pretty cool technology and, like, guns and robots and stuff, but these alien people kind of suck. I think at this point, James Cameron is just a brand. I don't know how he did it, but now it's like, oh, a new James Cameron movie, got to check it out. And, like, that's how he gets all that money. Well, he's had some good ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Terminator, 1 and 2, Aliens. I mean, Titanic is good. Eh, I'm not a fan. I mean, <laughs> it's good in the same way that, like, I don't know, T.S. Eliot is good? You heard it here first. Titanic. <laughs> just like T.S. Eliot. 
<laughs> it's it's recognizable in name, but it, and you know, like it's quote it's it's education good. You know what that's I mean? That's why that's why you come to Better Buddies to listen to comparisons. <laughs> Disaster movies. <laughs> it's like that book they tell you, they, they chuck at you in high school English, you're like, hey, look at this good book, but it's the Scarlet Letter, so like, it was good for its time, but I don't want to read it. Alright. Alright? Alright. Alright. I'm alright. Actually, more importantly, it's time for our uh, third run of our new segment, shout, uh, what I like to call Making a New Buddy, but what you guys like to call Shouting into the Void. Oh, RJ's gonna tweet at some random celebrity. Time to tweet at a random celebrity. We're making it an ex- we're making it an actual segment because you know. Interesting. Why not? We're trying to make friends, influence people. So who should RJ we tweet Gordon at this for week? those influencer money? Yeah, really. You know, tweet at I think Roger Deakins is on Twitter. No, right. leave the poor man be. <laughs> uh, what, what should we say to Roger Deakin? Oh God. I don't think he's on. I don't. I don't want to be associated to this. Yeah, I highly doubt Roger Deakins. (laughs) Well, Uh, it's not his name, so no, I don't think he is. Should we do James Cameron? He's seventy years old. Something tells me he's not a Twitter person. About James Cameron? Okay, boomer. James Cameron is definitely on Twitter. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. (laughs) Is that his call sign is Jim Cameron? (laughs) Yeah, I guess people actually call him Jim on set or something like that. Oh Jesus! There's so many of them. Which one's his official one? The one with the check mark, the blue check mark. Yep. Right, Do you even right. Twitter? I don't Twitter well. Do the at sign. Hey, James Cameron. There we go. Jimmy hey, James. Jim Cameron. Uh, good. <laughs> good luck with the Avatar franchise. Considering you basically bought New Zealand's <laughs> movie industry. There you go. <laughs> don't don't bankrupt New Zealand. Oh, the uh, Academy Awards are this weekend, aren't they? It's Sunday. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any way I can watch them. I don't think there is. Online? Will they be streamed? I doubt it. I don't even know what channel they're on. Probably like CBS, ABC. I mean, um, this is time for me to plug my blog, but I will be posting my oh, thoughts on it. the Oscars um, probably Monday or Tuesday. So. And where can we find this blog? Um, it is at eliastokes.com, E-L-I-A-H-S-T-O-K-E-S.com. For, for all insightful your movie reviews and news you can use. And fun little blogs, so check it and out if you want. We can also find you at uh, on the podcast Better... Fuck, that's mine. Well, you can find you <laughs> well, at Better Buddies. Find him there. You, I'm here right now. Yeah. <laughs> but more no, I'm importantly, also, I'm on a much on a better podcast. show... I'm also on a podcast called Super Bracket Bros. I do with my friend Jay. We have a tournament of 32 fictional fighters. We pit them against each other in one-on-one combat and see who will win. This week's matchup uh, will be Captain America from Endgame versus Monkey D. Luffy from uh, One Piece. So, Well, it's definitely going to be Monkey. <laughs> I heard the sigh. <laughs> Eli, I, I acknowledge what's going to happen in that fight. <laughs> Monkey D. Luffy's an OP piece of shit. Okay, you know what? I, I'll, <laughs> I'm just going to say this right now. Luffy, right now, in the canon, is getting one-shot by people. So, like... <laughs> okay, but that's because he's, he's in an anime where the whole point of anime is, Boy, howdy, I'm going to be the strongest. Punch him in the face to one-shot him. No, you're not. Oh, man, I'm just going to have to train harder. Hey, look at that. I'm ten times more powerful now. Punch you in the face. Brand new opponent punches him in the face. It's hey, just that man, escalation he... never stops. Hey, he worked hard to get stronger to punch those dudes in the face. <laughs> Bullshit, he ate some fruit. 
hey, that only gave him a power. They didn't master it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's a really good show, though. I've really enjoyed it. I really appreciated the Link and Hiccup slash Toothless matchup. That was fun. I, I was... I could definitely see it going either way. I'm a little oh, bit thought... more... I was a little bit more inclined towards Link only because of... He's got a basically second life. Right. Which is a little powerful, but... I mean, also with, like, the speed thing, Night Furies are fast, but tooth, uh, Hiccup took one down with a Ballista. Right, yeah. So that's where I was going with that. Calvin, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh... Not really. That's fair. That's fair. 1917. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, go see it. If it still happens to be in theaters, if you like listen to this podcast this week, which is still even doubtful, I would recommend seeing it in a theater because it's the sound is awesome and it really lends to it. And I'm still standing by prediction. I think uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's going to win Best Picture. Uh, probably not. We're going to get every of my picks wrong, but I don't give a shit. All right. Well, thank you for that. Thank you again for listening, dear listener. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Better Buddies Cast. We're on Twitter at Better Budcast. Email us. Our email is betterbuddiescast at gmail.com. Send in your stories, your questions, your comments, your arguments, your fan letters, your disfan letters, your hate mail. You can uh, find this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and uh, Google Play. Leave us reviews. Let us know what you think. Because the only way we know if we can improve or not. Thank you to the band Problem of Interest for letting us use the song Living in the Moment off the album Cross Off Yesterday. Support your local bands and local music industry. And last but not least, Oscars, be a better buddy. (laughs) Glad we can get started now. Yo, what? Yeah, and since Eli's here, we can turn it into a movie podcast because I just went and saw 1917. Oh, nice. Oh, my dude, my guy. I freaking loved it. Great movie. Give me like Excellent. 30 seconds to get this show on the road. So, uh. I thought you were about to say, give me two hours to go watch the movie. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> yeah, no, just, you know, we... watch it quick. He'll be right back. <laughs>